looking forward to this. It's quite a chapter that we're going to look at. Uh, we're in uh, Matthew 23. But before I go there, I just want to tell you about an incident I had on my way here. So God's timing is always perfect, right? Um, somebody else was scheduled to speak today and had couldn't, so Brian asked me if I would come. So on my way here, I came Highway 7, went through Tweed. I stopped at uh, Tim Hortons to get coffee, pulled out, and there was a hitchhiker. And... Um, I thought I'll pick this guy up. And uh, so I picked him up and he told me thanks. He had wrecked his truck um, night before last. So uh, he had to, he's going through an addiction program. So he had to get to the pharmacy and see the pharmacist and get a new medicine to help him with his addiction. Said, I just turned 29 today. My wife left me, took my two kids, went to Newfoundland. I wrecked my truck, got it got back into drugs, went to a casino, blew all his money, and, uh, and he just said that. So I started talking to him, asked a few questions, and then he said, are you a man of God? And I said, yes. Um, I said, why do you ask? And he said, well, you're playing um, UCB. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but it's a Christian radio station in Belleville. And I said, he said, my uncle listens to that. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And he said, yeah. And so I started talking to him and he said, well, you know, is it about a higher power or is it about God and Jesus or what is this all about? And I said, well, yes, it's about God and it's about Jesus. And he said, and born again. And, and I said, yes. And I said, do you know where that term born again comes from? And he said, no, I don't. And I said, well, there was, Jesus was talking to a man. So I started telling him the story of Nicodemus and that Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. So we talked a little bit more, and then I said, you know, Jesus said something else to Nicodemus, too. And I quoted John 3.16 to him, and he, and he said, he just told me, my uncle and my aunt, or this other woman, his grandmother, I think, said, told me, they've quoted that. And he said, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> and so we talked a little bit more, and I got, we got to Caledar, and that's where he was getting off. But he said, I'm going to go to church tomorrow. And I said, well, which church? And he said, I don't know. I'm just going to go to one in Tweed. And I said, he said, I'm just going to sit there and listen. So I've been praying for him last night and this morning. His name's Jordan. So if you think of it, pray for him because God's working in this man's life. He's got problems and he's messed his life up. And his uncle told him, you reap what you sow. And I said, yeah, that's obvious, isn't it? We reap what we sow because he wrecked his truck because he was drunk and uh, lost his money because he gambled. He got back into addiction, drugs, and he's having a rough time. Lost his wife, his kids, doesn't know if they're coming back. So anyway, um, if this man could come to know Jesus, that would make a big change in his life. And I know it's a hard, going to be a hard, long road for a guy with all these, because it's been a long, hard road for all of us. And uh, But God is good, and he works in our life, and he brings about good in our life. And if God could work in his heart, change his heart, give him hope, give him life, what a difference that would make when the next time his wife meets him. So uh, just keep him in mind. So we're going to look at Matthew uh, chapter 23. And uh, I'm going to read from what's called the October Testament. It's Tyndale, a revised and updated version of Tyndale's New Testament. Um, I do like the way sometimes Tyndale uh, translates things. So we're going to read, we have the whole chapter, and I'm, I'm going to look at this chapter in three three sections, really. Um, they just kind of, 
it's the way Jesus was speaking, the way Matthew divided it up. The first thing in, in verses 1 to 12, Jesus addresses his followers, the faithful. And then immediately he goes into a pronouncement of judgment. And then at the end, there's, um, there's a prophecy about Jerusalem and uh, a, a bit of a lamentation and a prophecy. And that's how Jesus concludes this, this uh, how this chapter is concluded. So let's um, just start reading in uh, verse 1 of chapter 23. And let's read the first, I'll read it in sections. We'll read the first 12 verses, then we'll go on. So let's read verse 1 to 12. Then Jesus spoke to the people and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore that they bid you to observe, that observe and do, but do not follow their works. For they say, but do not do. Yea, and they bind up heavy burdens, grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they will not lift a finger to carry themselves, to carry them themselves. All their works they do to be seen by men. They enlarge their phylacteries and make large borders on their garments. They love to sit uppermost at feasts, to have the chief seats in synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called rabbi by men. But you shall not suffer yourselves to be called rabbi. For one is your master, that is Christ, and you are all brethren. And call no man upon the earth your father, for there is but one your father. And he is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for there is but one your teacher, and he is Christ. He who is the greatest among you will be your servant, but whoever exalts himself shall be brought low, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Father, as we look in your word and as we look at the things that Jesus said at this period of time while he was here on earth, we just ask that you speak to us from these things. Open our minds and our hearts to receive what you have for us by your spirit this morning. And we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Sorry, I woke up this morning and my voice is like, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just uh, strange this morning <clears throat> and I'm having a bit of trouble. Um, I was talking a bit. So, so we have chapter um, 23, verse 1 to 12, and Jesus is speaking to people and to his disciples. So this is a general discourse with his disciples and with the other people. And, uh, of course, the Pharisees there, if you can imagine the picture, um, and we know that in just earlier, Jesus has come into Jerusalem. Why did he come into Jerusalem at this point? He's presenting himself to the nation as their king. He came in riding on the, the, the foal of a donkey, a colt, <clears throat> and they're worshiping him as if he is the king that's coming, just as, as we're told in the, in the prophets. And he's here in Jerusalem, and this chapter is a really important chapter in the history of humankind. What happens here is really significant um, for Israel and, and for us, um, and uh, there's certain things throughout the Bible, and they're those things that happen are huge moments in the history of mankind and in God's dealing with mankind. Adam in the garden, and then what God said to Satan. And there's different things throughout the history of Israel that are really important. And different things, when Christ came into the world, that was a, the climax of human history in, in many ways to this point. And then this that we're going to look at this morning. So he's talking to 
these people and the disciples. And he tells them the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So what, what was he talking about? What did, what did he mean? Did they have the place of Moses? Were they like Moses? Well, in, in attitude and in action, they were nothing like Moses. But they were teaching Moses' law. They were teaching what Moses gave, what God gave to, Mo to Moses, and then Moses gave to the people. They were teaching these things. So he said, they, they sit in that seat, so you listen to them. All their, therefore, they bid you to observe and observe, you to, to observe, that observe and do. But do not follow their works. Don't follow their example. That's a terrible comment to make on a person. Listen to what this person says, because they're actually saying what Moses said. But don't follow what they do, because they are living nothing like Moses lived. They have no faith. Who were these, these men? But they, they sat in, in Moses' seat, and um, they were the ones that were teaching the law. They were teaching what Moses taught. What all was contained in the first five books of the Bible that was so, so important that Moses was, that he would tell them, listen to what he's saying. Well, we have the account of creation and God's work and all God's characteristics seen in that work of creation. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth and he rested on the seventh day. They have that whole account. So they would be telling those things. The account of the serpent in the garden and what was said there, that, that extremely important thing that, that was said there in the garden, that he will crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And that gave hope to all mankind that someone was coming that would crush the power of Satan and free mankind from his hold. What else would they be teaching? The Exodus the great works of God in taking the people of Israel out of the Exodus. And that is such an important point in the history of mankind and the history of Israel. It's repeated all through the Old Testament. God keeps going back. Rahab, when she heard about the Israelites coming, what did she remember? All that God had done to the Egyptians, they knew about it. The world knew about what happened there. It went through the whole world. So these are the things the Pharisees are teaching, the law, the giving of the law, that terrible mountain quaking and the thunders and the lightning and the fire and nobody able to approach because of their unholiness and God's holiness. So they're teaching this, they're teaching the holiness of God and yet they're unholy. So he says, listen, they're giving you the law. You listen to what they're saying, but just don't do what they do. They don't live. Who are the Pharisees? Christ said to them, you are your, of your father, the devil, and you do his works. You would have received me if you were of my father. He, he had a terrible common, a common commentary on their, on their lives. The Pharisees were these wicked men that rejected everything of God, although they taught his word. And uh, he said, they just served like in this commentary, they're, they're serving a very self-serving purpose. Everything is so that they can be seen. They enlarged their phylacteries, these little boxes that, <clears throat> that carried about pieces of scripture. And they, wore the, they made them larger so people would even no, notice them even more. 
they just wanted to be seen. They wanted the best places. And um, he told them that they were a child of the devil. Um, and he said, the desires of your father you want to do. The desires of their father, the devil. That's what he told them. He said, you're of your father, the devil, and his desires are what you want to do. And so that's why he would say, don't follow these people. Who, who was Satan? He was a murderer from the beginning. They were, they're murderers. And he, um, and he doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. And so he said, you're of this, this, you're your father, the devil. There's no truth in you. You don't stand in the truth. You know, you, 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 you say the truth, but it's not in you. So he says, don't follow their works for they say and they don't do. And this is what they do. They bind up heavy burdens, grievous to be, to be born, and they lay them on other men's shoulders, not on their own, on other men's shoulders. And they will not lift a finger to carry them themselves. They just put burdens on the people. These, these were, the religious, these were the, uh, the religious rulers of Israel. These were the leaders of Israel. These is, they represented Israel, and this is what was seen in them. They loved the upper, to sit uppermost at feasts, the chief seats at the synagogues. This is what they like, everything for them. God is very far from them. And, uh, and they want to be called rabbi by men. But he said, you're all brethren. You don't need to be called rabbi. You don't need these kinds of things. You're all brethren. In other words, you're the same. You have one teacher, that's Christ. You have one master. There is one father, and he is in heaven. And he said, then he says something. He said, whoever exalts himself shall be brought low, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. That's how he closes this little discourse. Whoever exalts himself will be brought low, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. And James says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God has a purpose. We don't want to be the ones that God is resisting. We want to be the ones that God is giving grace to. We want to be the humble ones. And so he says, don't follow them. It's not, you'll be far from the truth if you do what they do. But if you listen to what they're saying when they're reading Moses, when they're giving you Moses, listen to that, but don't follow their actions. And so... He, he gives this commentary, then immediately he turns to the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he starts pronouncing terrible, terrible judgment. And um, you'll see here there's a word in most translations, I think it's there, woe. What, what in the world does that word woe mean? But in this case, it's a statement of judgment. So whenever he says woe, he's pronouncing a judgment. And... Um, it's against their attitudes and what they were doing. It shows God's displeasure for them and God's displeasure towards an evil doing, evil doer. So God says, so Jesus pronounces this woe. And he starts out in verse 13, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you say and do not, and you put burdens on other people and you won't carry them. There's a hypocrite. You say, but you don't do. You tell others to do, but you won't do it. 
So he says, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He lumps them all together, hypocrites. He's, he's told them this before. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven before men. You yourselves go not in, neither do you suffer those who come in, who come to enter in. So they don't, they're turning people away from God, from his kingdom that's being presented to them. They're turning people away. They won't go in, but they won't let others go in either. How far and how evil can a person be that they would not take the goodness of God themselves, but they won't let others have it either. They turn, they turn them away from God. So they close access to faith. That's what they're doing. They're replacing faith in Christ with something else. They don't allow people to have faith. They take it away from them. They give them something different. They give them all these burdens to carry rather than faith in Christ. They, they don't actually do what the law was intended to do. What was the law intended to do? Does, do you know what the law, why was the law given? Before God gave the law, he spoke with Israel, and Israel made, entered into an, a covenant with God. It was a bilateral agreement, because both parties had to do their part. That was a huge mistake for Israel. They said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. Seriously. Seriously. You just, he just brought you to the edge of the Red Sea, and you murmured and complained and turned against him and accused him of bringing you out to murder you. And now you're saying we're going to listen and do everything he said? Everything? We're going to love the Lord our God with all our heart? No other gods? How could they say that they were carrying gods from Egypt? Just read, read through Exodus. You'll find out they carried gods all the way into, you know, Joshua. You're going to find out they were carrying these gods that they took out of Egypt with them. They should have, they should have pleaded for his mercy rather than saying, we can do everything that God says. Because if you don't do what God says, it means judgment. It means condemnation. And they weren't doing it. So the law that they, they were giving to the people was as if they were the people way back then. Do everything the Lord says in the law, and you'll, you'll be benefited. These terrible burdens. But... People, but who was it that was coming to Christ? Well, the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors. Why? Because they felt hopeless. They knew how badly they had broken the law, so they were turning to Christ for salvation. And they weren't allowing people. They were saying, no, it's not that. You need to do better. You need to do more. We'll give you more to do. And um, what is the purpose of the law? It's to bring us to Christ. That's the whole purpose of the law. We just realize we're utter failures at keeping the law. Totally. I failed completely. The first law, I never get past it. It slays me every time. I don't have to go any further. I'm dead at the first one. The second one, I'm dead at the second one. The third, if you go through them all, we're just, it's just like, this is hopeless. Hopeless. So I turn to Christ, the perfect one. No, no condemnation, and I'm free from the law. I don't have to look to the law for salvation because it's not there. The law can't do anything to help me keep it. It can just tell me what I'm doing wrong. But Christ says you can have salvation in me, the perfect sacrifice. Look to me.
So anyway, they close access to faith. They don't worship God alone. That was their problem. They would say they were, but they don't. Who, who do they worship themselves and the law? They have other gods. And then we'll go on to verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You devour widows' houses, and that under a color of praying long prayers for which you shall receive the greater damnation. What did he mean when he said you devour widows' houses? He's accused them of things like this before. You hypocrites, you devour widows' houses. Well, you're thieves, you're covetous. That's what he's saying. You guys are covetous. What do they do? They steal from the widows. They tell them that they have to give all that they have. And so they deprive widows. And they says, and that under the color of praying long prayers. You look really good. Do you know these hypocrites? And the, the scribes and the Pharisees were regarded as righteous men in Israel. No one would point the finger at them and accuse them of evil, but Christ did. He never feared them whatsoever, and he accused them all the more for pretending to be what they were, weren't and from preventing people from coming to him, their only hope of salvation. Remember what's happening here. You have a unique situation. Many years earlier, God had left the temple. They didn't have this glory, this Shekinah glory that it's sometimes called, this, this pillar of fire and pillar of cloud over the temple. That, God had left a long time ago. They didn't even really notice when it happened. And the route that he took when he left, we're told, well, God has come back to the temple and they don't recognize him. They don't recognize that God is back in the temple. He's there. And the first thing he did was he cleared the temple of the, the thieves and robbers. And they said, by what authority do you do this? And he said, okay, I'll ask you a question, and then I'll tell you. And they wouldn't answer his question. He said, well, I'm not gonna tell you by what authority I do this either. You should know by what authority. They just, they just recognize me coming into Jerusalem as who I am fulfilling prophecy, and you guys don't recognize it. He says, woe to you, scribes and, and Pharisees. He said, you devour widows' houses, you're covetous. And then he says in verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, who compass land and sea to bring one person into your belief, and when he is brought in, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves are. So everything that they're doing with their people that they want to come into their belief, makes them worse than they are. They're, makes them a child of hell, he says. What does that mean? There's, it just turns them totally away from God. From any hope of salvation, they turn them away because where is the only hope of salvation? It's in Christ. They had totally rejected Christ. Um, I think you guys looked at the story earlier that Jesus told and they knew he was speaking about them. They knew these men are not guiltless. They know who Christ is, but they won't accept him because they're of their, their father, the devil. They're children of the devil. So they cannot. The, the devil always resists the work of God. Anybody who's following the devil is going to resist the work of God. These men were, even though they looked holy and righteous, were evil and wicked following the work of God, and they 
could not, could not allow Christ to have the rightful place. They resisted him at every turn and tried to find fault with the Son of God at every turn. They tried to find fault with him because they were of the, their father, the devil. They could not accept him. They were in constant opposition to God and they couldn't see it. So he says, hypocrites. And so they turn those seeking the truth, they turn them away from God. They make them their disciples. And they're further from the truth than when they started seeking. They bear, in other words, they're bearing fault witness. They're not actually giving the truth about God. Then, then he goes on and he says in verse 16, Woe to you blind guides. I don't know, um, when I lived in, in West Africa, I seen a lot of blind people. And uh, most of the time, a lot of times they would hold a stick and a child would lead them. They would hold the stick and they could follow because the child would walk along and they, and they would just buy the stick nowhere to go. Or somebody would lead them. Well, it's obvious that that blind person couldn't lead anybody because they can't see. And he's saying, you're blind guides. You're blind, but you're trying to guide people? You can't see the truth, and you're trying to guide others? That's so he says, you blind guides, who say if someone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he offends. O fools and blind, which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whosoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering that lies on the altar offends. Ye fools and blind, which is greater, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Whoever therefore swears by the altar, swears by it, and by all that is on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears by it, and by him who dwells therein. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the seat of God and by him who sits upon it. He's setting something straight for them. You guys are so confused. You're, you're making these rules that are so unreal. Don't you understand what the temple is and what the altar is and who it is that, that is the resident of the temple? They didn't, they didn't understand all these things. So they just are confusing people about the truth of God. And they're, they're really valuing the things that God gave them that pointed to him over God himself, swearing by these things and then saying, well, if you swear by this, you're in offense because and he said, don't you understand what sanctifies what? No, they didn't. And he, he ends this little thing by saying, and he who swears by heaven swears by the seat of God and by him who sits upon it. And they didn't recognize that at this moment in time, Jehovah was back in the temple. And they couldn't see him for who he was. And he's condemning them for how they've treated his temple. And 
really, this is idolatry. They're, they're putting things above God. And he says, don't you understand? It's God. It's not the things that God gave you. It is God. And he's the one you need to be concerned about. And then in verse 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, who tithe mint, anise, and cumin, and leave the weightier, weightier matters of the law undone, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not have left the others undone, blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Sometimes we can be like this. We strain out a gnat and we swallow the camel. Like we just don't see the important things. And that's what they, they weren't seeing what was important. He said, you need to do both things, but you've missed the most important thing. And what was that? Judgment, mercy, and faith. And where do you learn that from? You learn that from the scripture. You're not understanding. And so, hypocrites, you make such a fuss, fuss over the things that you plant and you tithe, but you forget about judgment, mercy, and faith. And he's accused them of this before too. Go and learn what this means. I will have mercy rather than sacrifice. They didn't understand those things. Mercy. They were merciless. They had no faith. They were faithless. And they made wrong judgment. They, they just were totally, totally lost. And yet they had Moses. And they couldn't understand him. They couldn't understand the Pentateuch, the five first five books. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand their own scriptures. And up until this point, they, they had, you know, they had the Old Testament. They had the Hebrew Bible. And they couldn't understand it. They couldn't see who Jesus was. They couldn't understand their prophets. And we'll see uh, in a minute um, how they're related. And then verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, who make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of greed and excess. You blind Pharisee, cleanse first the inside of the cup and platter so that the outside of them may be clean also. Now he's, and now he's getting really close to um, their character. So you clean the inside first. Blind, he calls them again. Blind, blind. That, it's a spiritual blindness. That's what it is. They cannot see the truth of God's word. They cannot see the person that they're talking to and the value in this person, that they should be submitting to him, that they should be believing in him and accepting him for who he is. They, they're just blind. And he says, they're more concerned about their, the outward appearance than they are to be clean on the inside. They would understand all these references he's making they would be very close to them. You may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they're full of greed and excess. So you look good, but I know, Jesus is telling them, you look good, but I know who you really are. I know, I know what's on the inside. Their only hope is in the man that's talking to them. But he says, you're blind. And he said, I know what you look like on the inside. You concentrate on appearance, 
an appearance of godliness, having a form of godliness, but being very far from it, but unrighteous. And he says, you're full of greed. You're covetous and excess. You go beyond. You, you're living in your own lusts, but you look good. Yeah, you, you look good when you walk through the marketplace and you walk through and people give you the highest places. Yeah, you look righteous. Yeah, you present the law, but this is what you are. And, and they could not see it. So he said, you're blind. And then verse 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like painted tombs, which appear beautiful outwardly, but within are full of dead bones and of all uncleanness. This is how you are, for outwardly you appear righteous to men, when within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. These are really solemn judgments on the Pharisees. They're, you're hypocritical, you're sinful, but you look good, you look righteous, but I, he knows who they are. And you cause others to be defiled when he talks about them being full of dead men's bones. You're like painted tombs which appear outwardly, beautiful outwardly, but within are full of dead men's bones. In the law, if you were to touch the bones of a dead person or to walk on a grave, you became unclean. And he's saying you, are un you make others unclean. You're unclean yourselves and you make others unclean. And he says, this is how you, you appear righteous when you're full of hypocrisy. You look righteous, but you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity, full of sin. But you appear good. So this was a judgment, not only on the scribes, the Pharisees. This, this is a solemn judgment. Christ is in Jerusalem, and he's going to be leaving Jerusalem for a long, long time. And uh, he came as their king, and they rejected him. The, we're going to see how fully they will reject him in the, in the following chapters. But the Pharisees, as a nation, they have rejected him. Sure, they welcomed him. They cried Hosanna when he came in. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said these things. And yet the Pharisees, and they represent the nation of Israel, they rejected him as their king. And that rejection will come to a completeness. And they will not see him in Jerusalem again for a long time. And then finally in verse 29, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You uh, build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the, the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in the blood of the prophets. So then you are a witness against yourselves that you are the children of those who killed the prophets. Fill up then likewise the cup of your fathers, serpents and offspring of vipers. How can you escape the judgment of hell? Wow, this is really a devastating commentary. He's actually accusing them. He said, yeah, you recognize your fathers killed the prophets and you're their, their descendants and you're exactly the same. And he says, you're serpents and the offspring of vipers. Terrible things to say um, because they're of their father, the devil. He was represented as a serpent. What would the serpent do? He would bruise the heel of Christ. 
of this promised one that was promised way back in Genesis. His heel would, and it's, uh, you know, if a serpent strikes your heel, I'm going to tell you, you're, you're going to really suffer. Um, I've seen it happen. And if the serpent strikes your heel, you will suffer. Um, and this is what's happening with Christ. He's going. He's entering in the time when he he will be struck on the heel, but he will crush that serpent's head. So he says, "You've killed the prophets. You're murderers. You are murderers." That's what he's going to tell them. You've killed the prophets. You recognize that your fathers killed the prophets, and you make you make these. Um, you adorn their sepulchers of the righteous, you unrighteous people. You adorn the sepulchers of the righteous, but you recognize that you're offspring of those murderers. And then he says, verse 34, And so behold, I send to you prophets, wise men and scribes. Who are these? Who are these people he's sending that's apostles? He said, I'm going to send them to you. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city so that upon you may come all the righteous blood that was shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Did you notice how he's talking? He said, you slew. Who, who does he mean when he said you slew? The Pharisees actually weren't there when this happened. Um, and in, when I was doing some reading about this, the Hebrew Bible ended with Second Chronicles, where we have the account of this Zechariah being slain. And um, so they slew all the prophets from righteous Abel all the way to Zechariah. Why did Christ go all the way back to Abel? Cain slew Abel. Well, he said, you are... Like he told them, you are of your father, the devil, before he told them that. They do the works of their father. Who motivated Cain to kill Abel? Satan did. Why did Cain decide to kill Abel? Because Abel's works were righteous and his were evil. He was jealous. There's a, he, a, um, Cain is an interesting person, and Christ is relating them to, to Cain. The murder of Abel. They are, they are just like Cain. What, what happened with Cain? Cain disregarded what God had said and he made his own offering. So God spoke to him and he said, Cain, if you do right, indicating that Cain knew what was the right thing to do, well, you will be accepted also. And he said, but be careful because sin wants to overtake you. But you know the right thing to do and you'll be accepted. God actually went and spoke with Cain after he had disobeyed him and did the wrong thing. God spoke to him. What did Cain do? He rejected what God said, and instead, he killed his brother Abel, he, who was righteous, because he believed God. So he slew his brother. These men, he's saying, this nation, is they are descendants of Cain. They've rejected God. Truth, God spoke truth to Cain. He came to him. And what did Cain do? He went out from the presence of the Lord. He turned away. Knowing truth, he turned away. The first apostate. Knowing truth, he turned away. Israel, knowing truth, turned away from their Lord. 
knowing all that the scripture said, turned away from their Lord. The Pharisees, knowing everything that the scripture said, turned away from the Lord. He was right there with them, and they turned away from him. And he said, you're guilty of all the slain prophets. Israel, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're condemned. And then he, then he goes on, and we'll just look at the last couple of verses. Verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you, how often would I have gathered your children together as the hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Behold, your habitation shall be left to you desolate. For I say to you, you will see me, you will not see me henceforth until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Christ is leaving. He said, I'm going. You're not going to see me until you repent and you turn back. There's a coming day. Israel will repent and they will look for him who, who they pierced and they will mourn for him and long for him, recognizing what they did as a nation to the Messiah. And they will cry out for him and he will come back. He said, but you won't see me till that day. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to you, knowing that they're going to take his life in a very few short few days. He's going to, they're going to take his very life from him. He said, how I would have gathered you together. Who is this that's speaking? Jesus of Nazareth? No, Jehovah. He's saying, how I would have gathered you. He knows what he's saying. He knew these people long ago. I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I would have, but you would not. Terrible condemnation on a people. I would have. When God says to a people, I would have, but you would not. You've rejected me. You've totally rejected your God. And here he was standing before them, and he knows they've rejected him. I would have gathered you, Jerusalem. And Jerusalem represents the nation of Israel. But you kill all your prophets. Everybody that's sent to you by God to help you, you kill them because you're unrighteous. You would not. And he said, your habitation will be left to you desolate. Your house is going to be left desolate. What does that mean? I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I know I'm going. You will not have me. I'm here now, and you're, I'm going to be leaving. You will not have me. And he's prophesying in a few short years from that time, Jerusalem would be destroyed. They will come under terrible, the temple will be torn apart. They will be destroyed. And he said, I, for I say to you, and this is a prophecy of the future, you will not see me henceforth until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's still... This still has not happened. It's still coming in a future day. Maybe soon, we don't know, but it's coming. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And blessed we are because we know the Lord. Let's just close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, for what we've just looked at, for the words that he spoke and what they reveal to us. We just thank you that we've found salvation in him. Uh, we've seen our uncleanness, we've seen our sin, we've seen our departure from you and your ways, and you've shown us Christ 
as the one who came to give his life uh, to redeem those who were under sin and bondage. Father, we just thank you that he loves us, he gave himself for us, and he continues to love us, and we have a future hope with him. And Father, we read the solemn words here and realize that you still have a work to do uh, with the nation of Israel. And Father, we just uh, pray for, for those who don't know you, for those in Israel, for those in this world, that they might find and recognize who you are, who Jesus Christ is, turn to you and find salvation. As we part, just cause us to allow him to live in us, allow his spirit to guide and teach, and allow him to demonstrate who he is to this world through us. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure being with you.